Hello, and welcome to The Right Side of History, a show dedicated to exploring current events through a historical lens and busting left-wing myths about figures and events of America's past. My name is Jarrett Stepman, a contributor to The Daily Signal. And I'm Fred Lucas, The Daily Signal's White House correspondent. This week, we are talking about Poland, more specifically, the special relationship between a Polish pope and a president that brought down the Soviet Union. Fred, Poland has actually been in the news quite a bit lately. I think the especially with this president, uh, President Donald Trump, who has had a, I would say, a strong relationship with with the people of Poland, obviously made a very uh, impactful speech there uh, early on in his presidency. But uh, there's a lot going on with that. Can you can you kind of describe what's going on with Poland right now? Well, yeah, uh, this June, I, w- I was at the White House uh, when uh, President Duda visited, and uh, there they actually announced that President Trump would be going back to Poland in September. Uh, I'm actually going to be there as well, uh, as it would happen. But uh, um, this is uh, uh, significant because uh, historically uh, people might ask, what does this relatively small country in Eastern Europe have to do with uh, the United States? It actually just played such a pivotal role in the 20th century on so many levels. Um, Duda's visit, uh, President Duda's visit, came uh, at marking the 20th anniversary of Poland's membership in NATO. Um, going back just a little bit further, back to 1989, and we'll talk about this a little bit with our guest later on, but uh, in 1989, uh, you had the first uh, free elections, fair and free elections in Poland. Uh, that came, you know, as the Cold War was was ending, Um and not a single communist won in that election. Um, and, 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 of course, you had a uh, Pope John Paul uh, was a huge figure uh, working with Ronald Reagan, as we'll talk about with our guests. Of course, and, a native, a native yes, Pole, of right, course, right, very right, important. Right, right, right. First Polish Pope. Uh, and helping to bring down uh, the Soviet Union. And because um, and Poland was, of course, part of that uh, Soviet bloc country in, there in Eastern Europe. Uh, and going back farther, and, and this is this is going to be marking President Trump's visit there in September, uh, is what kicked off World War II, which is when German, Germany invaded Poland. Alongside the Soviet Union, which of right. course uh, right. the Poles certainly right. certainly remember have a, a little bit of bitterness there toward, yes, toward the Russians. Yes, they have long memories. Yeah, <laughs> Very yeah. long memories. As we both know, our both of our Wives are actually, uh, you know, exactly. come from <laughs> Polish families. So Fred and I do have some connection. But you know, it's it's interesting. I mean, the United States does have a long term connection to Poland, even beyond the conflicts, uh, World War II and the Cold War. I mean, even going back to the founding. I mean, uh, very famous. Uh, I guess you could say founding father of the United States, Thaddeus Kosciuszko, has a statue here in in Washington D.C. and statues around the country. Not a lot of people, I think, know him these days, but was really. One of the great heroes of the American Revolution actually helped with the design of West Point. Uh, was an early friend of of the American, which became the American Republic. So there's there's actually a, a very long history there uh, between Poland and the United States. As much as uh, Poland has had struggles over the centuries of being unfortunately conquered by Russians or Germans or things like that, uh, uh, certainly a a resilient people. And I think their role at the end of the Cold War 
certainly plays a critical I mean, obviously, at a pivotal moment in history, we recently had the anniversary, the 30th anniversary of the Tiananmen Square crackdown in in China that took place in which um, obviously the Chinese communist authorities cracked down on a free speech movement going on there. But it's amazing that at the same time, June 4th, uh, 1989, you were having these free elections happening in Poland that ultimately brought down the Soviet empire that showed how when communism, people who had actually lived under real communism, the real thing, when they actually were given a vote after having that voting rights stripped away from them for generations, didn't, as you said, did not vote for a single communist. They had learned essentially what it was like to live under communism and knew that they wanted no part of it uh, as part of this, of course, the solidarity movement, which worked there to bring down. Of course, it, it led to a, a, a chain effect throughout the Soviet Union where uh, the really the Soviet bloc started to crack up and the Soviet Union was no more within, I mean, really within a year. Uh, a remarkable uh, event in history. And I think, Fred, as we'll discuss with our uh, with our guests, uh, I mean, gosh, I mean, we're talking about something that nobody really predicted, nobody thought, but there were two men in particular who are at the heart of these events. I mean, obviously, there are historical forces at play. There's a lot of communism itself maybe was something that over time would go away. Uh, but it really took the force of two men with the kind of vision uh, to see it through in its final days of the Soviet Union in Pope John Paul II and his relationship with President Ronald Reagan. Yeah, very true, very true. And that takes us to our uh, interview with our guests. We are now joined by Dr. Paul Kanger, who is a professor of political science at Grove City College and a fellow at the Hoover Institution. He's the author of many books, including one we wanted to talk about today, A Pope and a President, John Paul II, Ronald Reagan, and the Extraordinary Untold Story of the 20th Century. We are also joined by Robert Orlando, a filmmaker who collaborated with Kanger on his movie about the same subject, The Divine Plan, Reagan, John Paul II, and the Dramatic End of the Cold War. Thank you so much for joining us. Sure, guys. Yeah, good to be with you. Excited to be here. Uh, We're excited to have you. So just to start off the bat, uh, this is kind of more directed toward uh, Robert. What initially brought you to the story of John Paul II and Ronald Reagan? Obviously, this is a collaboration that had enormous historical significance. What initially brought you to this project? I think Paul would have to receive the initial credit because he did the Pope and a President. And I saw, I went and did a Reagan lecture at his Grove City College and met Paul and we got to know each other because he also worked on my prior film, Silence Patton, now out at Sony, with Sony Pictures. Um, so when I saw that, what he was doing, he did a presentation on a Pope and a President, but he, he limited the, the lecture he was doing down to the relationship between the Pope and Ronald Reagan. And I started to see in there almost a brotherhood, uh, a relationship beyond the epic the epic story of the Cold War, I saw a much more intimate story, and I was curious as to how it happened. What was the chemistry between the two of them? What were their con- shared convictions? What was their background? On and on and on. And then Paul and I talked about doing some research on this and possibly moving forward on a project. Absolutely. <laughs> the, uh, the the setting, when, uh, when Reagan came into the presidency and before that when Pope John Paul came into the uh, leadership, uh, was, was was there pretty much a um, a a resignation among the U.S., the Vatican, and much of the West that we're, we're going to have to deal with communism. And, uh, and, and in that sense, do you think these two guys were 
just the right people at the right time. For that. Yeah, they, they were definitely the right people at the right time. And in fact, you know, this this language, the DP, the divine plan, and you <laughs> yeah. know, it's, the acronym was actually used by Bill Clark and Ronald Reagan. Right. I mean, they talked about it so often, they referred to it as the DP. I mean, so that, that phrase actually comes from them. Right. And they they believe that, that this had to have been the working of Providence. I mean, the fact that you would get in John Paul II, the first Slavic pope ever, the first mm-hmm. Polish pope ever, the first non-Italian pope in 455 years, and he, that he'd be plucked right smack out of the middle of the communist bloc out of Poland in 1978. And by the way, how did that happen? The previous pope had, had, been, had been in for only 33 days and then died. There were two other Italians who were who were the leading candidates, and and he ends up getting it because they basically deadlocked. They split the Italian <laughs> vote. So to have all of that happen the way that it did, and then Margaret Thatcher coming in in between, John Paul II and Ronald Reagan, and then to have them both, Reagan and John Paul II, survive assassination attempts just six weeks apart. I mean, the Pope obviously thought in terms of religious language, but but Ronald Reagan did too. And that was something about Reagan at the time that a lot of people didn't realize just Actually, how that, religious that, he was. That, that, that is something. I wanted, I wanted the question I had is uh, the assassination attempts on both men, uh, that sort of uh, defined them, right? It sort of defined their mission going forward. It did. Yeah. They, so they finally got together. They had wanted to, to meet for a while and Reagan, especially since June, 1979, when, when he saw the Pope go to Poland and Reagan, when in fact, Rob interviewed for the film, Richard V. Allen, right. You want to, you want to mention that? Go ahead. You mean the, the coincidence? Why don't you yeah, finish? Sure, sure. So uh, Rob interviewed Richard V. Allen, who was Reagan's national security advisor, mm-hmm. foreign policy advisor at the time. And so Rob actually got on film, the guy, the only person who was sitting with Reagan in Reagan's living room mm-hmm. watching footage of John Paul II, his trip to Poland in June 1979. And Alan said he looked over and there was a tear in Reagan's eye. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he said, Dick, that's it. The Pope is the key. The Pope is the key. You know, we've mm-hmm. got to find a way to get elected and reach out to this Pope and the Vatican to make them an ally. So they had wanted to get together, and the shooting derailed it. Right. And they, when they got together in June 1982 at the Vatican for the first time, they met alone for about an hour in the Vatican Library. They said to one another that they believed that they had survived these assassination attempts by the hand of God for a, for a providential reason, which would be to take on Soviet communism. And I was just going to add, I'll circle back to your yeah. initial question. I think there's a, there was an intrigue as the filmmaker and the investigative journalist uh, how they were would approach this to find out uh, this mystery, this tension that's been with us forever between the great man theory and the divine destiny, and what what is actually is it that you know there's one John Paul II, or is there a hundred potential John Pauls II? One becomes right. the John. Right. So this was our laboratory to kind of mm-hmm. test in a real situation on a stage. Like what would these former actors, how would they perform and how could we look at their lives in the fall of the Berlin Wall uh, like a laboratory sense and say, is this proven the divine plan or not? So that was the intrigue to the story. It is very interesting because, I mean, something that's always talked about the end of the Cold War, uh, of course, you know, the Iron Curtain falls, uh, collapse the Berlin Wall. We talk about this as kind of an economic victory, capitalism over communism. But something that Reagan, obviously, Pope John Paul II stressed is this religious significance. I mean, the idea was that it was a godless Soviet Union where, you know, the spirit of the people is literally 
gone because religion is uh, something under communism that isn't there. Obviously, John Paul II and Reagan come from somewhat different religious backgrounds. I mean, Reagan is a Protestant American. John Paul II is a Polish Catholic. I mean, obviously, this makes them very different. What kind of brought them together? I mean, given their backgrounds, was it their general belief in a God versus communism? Was that what it was? So I, I look at their lives as concentric circles. Maybe as you get toward the out, the outer circles, they may be more different culturally where they come from, training. You know, John Paul II is a moral philosopher. But as you get down to their core, I think they both experienced a lot of suffering. They faced World War II. They faced the Cold War early. I think their conviction also both were men of faith who always believed that their lives had a larger Purpose. So I think when you get down to the core, it really doesn't matter what the outside is as much. And I think when they met after the near assassinations, mm-hmm. that that they joined together in that intimate way, where it's like, okay, we're one in mission here, no matter what the external uh, characteristics were. Well, and also too, and I think this is something that the modern left doesn't doesn't quite get. I mean, th- there's nothing more intrusive than trying to tell people they can't worship God, than than trying to deny them freedom of conscience, right? Freedom of religion. And have a, an atheistic state that institutionalizes atheism, tearing down churches, jailing people, jailing priests and nuns, and 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 you know trying to shut down religious services and going on the offensive with with atheistic indoctrination, teaching in the schools. Not only it's not that they were irreligious or non-religious or had separation of church and state. The state went on the offensive against religious people. Yeah. And, and to Reagan and John Paul II, there was nothing more offensive than that. I mean, you could take away people's property, which was a natural right, and you know, some would even argue a sacred right. You know, Ten Commandments talks about thou shalt not steal, right? People have the right to property. Right. But, but, the, but, there, but there was nothing more intrusive than trying to deny people the right to worship God. And, and I would add, again, there's still this echo to a Marxism echo. Um, economic model that still gets used. I find even on the right, they kind of flip it over to a more conservative perspective, but they're still using a false model, which is not culturally based. It's not Hegelian, it's Marxist. Right. And then it's, it comes through the postmodern filter. And before you know it, you're back to arguing right or left from the same paradigm of what how, how to look at the world properly. And you miss that this is not of an economic or political nature. This is an idea cultural, religious nature. And we don't have a way to speak about that without being racist or whatever the categories are. You know, you know, uh, Pope, Pope Benedict XVI said that what Marx and the Marxists misunderstood is that as, as Christ told Satan, right, man does not live by bread alone. And Marx thought that if you solve the economic problem, then all would be well. You could have this, this heavenly paradise, the new Jerusalem would, would, would be ushered in. But the fact is that man is a spiritual being. And so what, what Benedict said, and also what John Paul II understood, is, is that they had their anthropology wrong. <laughs> and when you get your understanding of the human person wrong, everything else is going to collapse. Yeah, the, the Bible blows up the Marxist idea when Jesus says they'll always be the poor. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's right. And the, and the Marxist and the leftist says, no, there won't, mm-hmm. right? No, we're going to make sure that there's not. And through revolution, we're going to do through, all through of this to make sure that it doesn't happen. He said, right. well, if you do all of that and you take away all these rights and people's property to try to get to something that is, is impossible to get to, you're going to really mess things up big time. And, and we, right. it's important to mention that the book we wrote, The Divine Plan, which is the follow-up to A Pope and a President, is a deeper dive into the wise. Because mm-hmm. he had covered it so well with the epic tale of the rise and fall of the Russian Empire. Right. But we went yeah. d- deeper into like why these two men, why this time, why, and 
So at, at a theological, philosophical, mm-hmm. theodrama yeah. level. Right. Theodrama. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I'm interested in kind of the larger kind of political happenings of the 80s. Obviously, the rise of the Solidarity Movement in Poland was a major development that both Reagan and Pope John Paul II had a part to play in. Obviously, there have been uprisings in Eastern Europe, Hungary, 1956, ruthlessly crushed. Uh, what made this different? I mean, did these two men see this as an opening to the breakup of the Soviet Union? Did they were they worried that they maybe play part in events that would lead to the crushing of the Polish people? Can you kind of describe this and how both men played a role in this? I think we have to go a little historical here to pick to answer that correctly. I think you have to go back to Yalta and you have to see the fragile agreements that went on post World War II that had always been in play. Number one. You have to understand, number two, that Poland has always been the buffer state between the Germans and the Russians. So they've been beaten up from both sides for many, many years. And then number three, you have to acknowledge that the underground Catholic Church provided an infrastructure that could stand in a much stronger way than other Eastern European countries, Mm -hmm. although some will argue Lithuania and others had that kind of infrastructure. So it was a way to keep alive even an oppressed people through the, the channels of the infrastructure of Poland. So knowing Polish history, and they'll be the first to tell you what I just did. You speak to any Polish American, they'll, they'll tell you that like verbatim off, off the top of their head. But I think knowing them and how much they suffered, that's why there was this unleashing. Because all the Pope had to say was come to the streets and be not afraid. And he just unleashed all that that was underground. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, my that my, was my quick uh, three point. My, my, my in laws, <laughs> my in laws who are from Poland, obviously, oh, you know, right. understood that. You know, Fred also, yeah, my his wife is Poland, also so. from Poland, wow. so there's I'll be definitely going there later this year. Actually, uh, a, a big wow. part of part of that history. Um, so going, I I would like to go back a little bit into kind of their early lives, and I know Fred, we were talking about this before. It's something that people don't know about, especially Pope John right. Paul. People know that Reagan was an actor right. early in life. But Both were actually actors. Pope yeah. John Paul was actually uh, did some acting himself. For his life. Can you you talk a little bit about that? He was a playwright and he was a, the leading hmm. theatrical actor of his time. Wow. He was when he played with the leading ladies and everything too. He was <laughs> he was a big and what he did was he had this theater underground which came which he used to kind of smuggle in uh, themes of nationalism, the Bible and other things hmm. while they were living under the oppression of the Nazis. So in oh, a way he wow. was always playing the role of the priest, I think even within his acting framework. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And and he also wrote a, a philosophical book called The Acting Person, also known as Person and Act. And and we incorporate that into the film, into the into the book in particular. <laughs> I have a full chapter on it in the in, in the book. And part of that, that's a deeper reflection on the moral act. I mean, he really, he really believed using the, the, the principles of phenomenology, which he taught. I mean, he was a philosophy professor, John Paul II. Carol Wojtyla was a philosophy professor. But emphasizing that you really define yourself as a person by your moral choices. And, and your choices matter. The way that you choose to act defines you as a person. And, and so because of that, I mean, that's something that Ronald Reagan totally understood as well. So it, it was Ronald Reagan's call to, to March 1983, denounce the Soviet Union as an evil empire. That needed to be said. Those actions needed to be taken. And, and also, if you choose to do evil acts, as was happening in Soviet, in Soviet communism, well, that, you know, that's a decision, too, that, that has consequences. It, it seems clear, because uh, you write about uh, at least a strong suspicion and some evidence that the Soviet Union had a role in the assassination attempt. They clearly, by by that token, they clearly stood that he was not a placeholder pope. That, yeah, uh, if someone else came in in his place, then 
that might make it things easier for them. They didn't want him there. Right? They, I mean, they, they did something. it. The, the Soviets yes. ordered the hit right. on John Paul II. And, and, and uh, in fact, that's what drove me to write A Pope and a President was, right. I, was I got that information. And I had that for five or six years. And I knew I had to write it, had to write it. Mm. And the film, Rob interviews a number of different people on it in the film. We also uh, revisit it in the book, The Divine Plan, as well. And they they ordered the hit, and and it was it was ordered by the head of the KGB, Yuri Andropov, and they decided that that they were going to kill the Pope. They decided they were Plain going to simple. kill yeah. the Pope. He was dangerous. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that's how. And there were a lot of people in the in the CIA, institutional CIA, kind of the establishmentarians, who said, "Ah, mm. oh, come on. I mean, gee." They really, they wouldn't do that, would they? And and Reagan and Bill Casey and Bill Clark said, oh, yeah, they would do it. So <laughs> this is an evil empire. These are bad guys. Yeah, they would also, do Also, you, you, right. you listen to the reactions of the Russian leaders when they found out the Pope was roaming around, <laughs> like yeah. visiting Poland. And, oh, what's going on here? Get this Polish guy out of here. You know? Well, that, that, no. tri- that, trip in, that trip in June 1979, that that terrified the daylights out of them. I mean, when he when John Paul II told the people of Poland, be not afraid, well, it terrified the Soviets. And, and you know, we go through this. I, I think that it was probably November 1979 that when the Central Committee met and they issued this chilling edict mm-hmm. where they talked about using additional measures beyond discreditation and disinformation to stop this new pope. Mm-hmm. And, and historians argue, and we go through this carefully as to whether or not that was a call on paper to to assassinate John Paul II. It may or may not be, mm-hmm. but but it, it it showed the level of just how hysterical they were. And at some point, somebody literally pulled the trigger, right? Ordered someone to pull the trigger. Well, the, the Pope but, himself acknowledged off the record that he knew who was behind it, but he wanted to move on because he saw Gorbachev as a hopeful light that was right. about to arise, and he didn't right. want to revisit what the past had mm-hmm. offered. He wanted to move. Forward. I, just to go back on this. He was this. basically a martyr to it, right? Mm-hmm. And just like as Reagan talked mm-hmm. about the martyred nation of Poland. Right. I was going to say, understanding that they both embraced, unlike the modern day, I call it the tyranny of now, but they both embraced that suffering was a part of life. I think Reagan and John Paul II, of course. But that's, to me, the theology of the cross, right? Which is an act. It's not an idea of the cross. It's an act that one gives of themselves for the others. And so I think both in their acting technically, but in their views Theologically and politically, they saw their acting out as actually following a Christian path in their destiny, in their divine plan. So, one well, and, and uh, the moral and, choice again, the sure. moral act. Yeah. And Carol Wojtyla mm-hmm. learned Spanish just to read Saint John of the Cross, right? The the, the <laughs> yeah. Spanish mystic. And so, Light was, language like number twelve. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. So it was. So it was just this this keen identification with with suffering, and that suffering has a purpose. Mm-hmm. And and Reagan, with his larger sense of divine providence, would see it that way as well. And Reagan said all the time, "Well, you know, maybe maybe this is God's plan. Maybe this is God's plan." You know, right down to taking a bullet. And you have you have right. too many Christians in modern America who say, "Well, God would never want you to do that. God wants you to be." Healthy and wealthy, right? I mean, God wants you to have that nice big car and house. And, and then the minutes that somebody dies, you say, well, I didn't get into this Christianity stuff for this. There's no God, right? But but Carol Wojtyla went through the Holocaust mm. and everything that he lost had seen. Lost his family before he was 21. His family, yeah. right. Lost a lot of priests, friends who were priests, went to Auschwitz. Right. He said the Christian life is a cross. Mm-hmm. 
you carry the cross. And later in life, as he started to fade, I don't know, you know, Alzheimer's, I forget what was Parkinson's. It? Parkinson's he had. Mm. But as he started to physically shake, he was advised not to be so much of a public figure. And he said, no, that's the whole point. Mm. The whole point is I'm still suffering and bearing my suffering before the world, because that's what I stand for, is the suffering of the cross. Absolutely. Well, it, yeah. it's it's really an amazing story, and obviously the role that Reagan and John Paul II played in bringing about the end of the Soviet Union. Who would have thought, I mean, 10 years after even an assassination attempt by the civil empire, that it would no longer exist after 1989, something that I think most people around the world never thought was even possible. Uh, um, the possible became reality. I mean, if you want to talk about a divine uh, plan. Yeah, we just had a 30th anniversary of a... Uh, Poland's first free election, actually. That's so. right. And, and it's, really, it's really that in June 1989. Right. That led to the breach in the Berlin Wall. I mean, that lit a fuse that ran all the way to the base of the Berlin Wall. You don't have the collapse of communism if several months later in the fall of 89 without that verse. Well, there was some key statements made. One was George Weigel when he said it's like pulling on the thread of a tapestry. It wasn't <laughs> once you pull one thread, the whole tapestry <laughs> collapses. I remember Ann Applebaum was also saying that once you admit one thing is a lie, it starts to snowball and people want to tell all the lies. They want to confess all the lies going on. So it started to fall like the domino effect. So one strand, one ex uh, uh, expression and then the freedom. The, the ability to give freedom of religion back to the people, that just exploded on them. So, Absolutely. Yeah, it's something also to remember, too, when we do with communism is still with us in this world, with communist China still doing some heinous things that I think we knew that the Soviet Union had done for years, that these kind of things still exist in our world, that things like religious liberty are at the essence of our being, are still under threat today. Uh, by vicious ideology that wants to stamp it out. So thank you both very much. Sure. Can I say one thing on that? Of course. 30th anniversary of Tiananmen Square. Tiananmen Square happened literally hours before the vote in Poland oh, in 1989. Wow. And so you talk about the divine plan. Everyone's focused on Tiananmen Square. And then just a little bit hour, the same day, June 4th, 1989, that's when Poland voted free and fair elections. The communists didn't win a single seat. <laughs> Hmm. Yeah, and I just want to add one thing. You mentioned China because I think this is now the test case for now. What we might have learned then, are we bringing the principles to modern day? And it would be back then we kind of lived, you know, the the uh, detente, right, with Nixon and Brezhnev. And we played this out as if we live, we coexist. And co until it, it took a Reagan or John Paul II to say, no, that's not all this is. And I, and I wonder today who would be the person to step up and say, no, this China business is not all neutral. We coexist because there's an aggression going on behind the scenes. And that would be, I would feel really satisfied, uh, satisfied if someone watched my film and said, well, this is the cautionary tale. How do we bring it into the present day? Absolutely. Well, thank you both very much thank for you. joining thank us you. here. Yeah, sure. Appreciate Thanks. it. Good to be with you. Thanks for the good work you do. Thank you. Thanks to everyone for joining us on The Right Side of History. If you'd like to listen to past and future broadcasts, you can also check us out on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or the Daily Signal website. Also take a look at the Daily Signal's Facebook page for when we air our next program. And if you're further interested in our work, check out my Twitter, at Jarrett Stepman, and Fred's Twitter, at FredLucasWH. Thanks again for listening. You've been listening to The Right Side of History, executive produced by Jarrett Stepman and Fred Lucas. Sound designed by Michael Gooden, Lauren Evans, and Thalia Rampersad. For more information, visit heritage.org. What the heck is trickle-down economics? Does the military really need a space force? What is the meaning of American exceptionalism? I'm Michelle Cordero. 
I'm Tim Desher, and every week on the Heritage Explains podcast, we break down a hot-button policy issue in the news at a 101 level. Through an entertaining mix of personal stories, media clips, music, and interviews, we help you actually understand the issues. So do this. Subscribe to Heritage Explains on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts today.